everybody. I'm meteorologist Joe Martucci. It is the middle of the month and it is time for something in the air podcast. You know how it goes at the beginning of the month. We do our recap of the month that was with the state climatologist, Dr. Dave Robinson. And for the middle of the month, we try to do something a little bit different here. Although this one's going to feel awfully familiar. The reason being our guest today is another meteorologist. And not only is he another meteorologist, he is a meteorologist at our sister uh, newspaper here at the Richmond Times Dispatch. Join with me is meteorologist John Boyer. John, thanks for being here today. Uh, Joe, it's great to be here and great to be uh, representing our little club of newspaper meteorologists. Yes, and I think the club might just consist of the two of us in the BH uh, atmosphere, but uh, I think we could probably fill a round table with a number of meteorologists that, you know, what you could consider newspaper companies. I, from both account of my head, I can think of probably five or six that have any. Do you know more than five or six off the top of your head? Well, I mean, the big one that comes to a lot of people's mind is Capital Weather Gang. Sure. Uh, out of the Washington Post at D.C. Uh, they do a fine job. <clears throat> I would be remiss if I did not, uh, if you don't already know him, uh, mention uh, Kevin Myatt at the Road of Times. He's been doing uh, the Weather Journal um, sort of in a part-time fashion. He, he is uh, full-time there in the newsroom, but the Weather Journal started in 2003. And uh, he's, he's got a deep expertise in weather and has cultivated a lot of really good relationships with uh, the experts and just the readers and the observers in Southwestern Virginia. So everything in the Roanoke-Blacksburg area, uh, which is my hometown, in I should say Roanoke is, uh, in Southwestern Virginia, um, he does some really fine coverage and has uh, for, for many years. So I consider him a, um, kind of a somebody who sets the standard for the kind of coverage uh, I, I hope to be doing here. Yeah, and I remember when we first talked, uh, when I first got here, uh, you actually turned me on to him and said, hey, you got to give him a follow on Twitter. And I have, and I will usually see his tweets a couple times a day. So he's pretty active on Twitter, too. I don't remember his Twitter handle. Maybe you don't, John, off the top of your head. Uh, off the top of my head, see, I always have to fill in the search box for everyone. <laughs> there you go. So look, look for him in the search box. I'm sure you will find him. Uh, but that is a good resource. But yeah, there's not many of us here. And I thought it was really interesting to bring you on because, you know, we probably share a lot of the same perspectives. Um, but I will say how we got to where we are might be a little different. And uh, we'll start off with just tell me about first your professional career up to this point, And then we'll kind of dive into your like early history of weather. Okay, I'll give you the quick rundown. I went to North Carolina State University in Raleigh to study meteorology. And while I was there, uh, it's a great program, but uh, it wasn't really uh, geared toward a broadcasting trajectory. Um, so I had to kind of look outside the buildings for uh, getting communications experience because uh, broadcasting was something that was always on my mind as a, as a career I was interested in. So I did internships with WSLS in Roanoke. Uh, Jeff Hanowitz, the chief meteorologist there, and at uh, WRAL in Raleigh, which was a pretty interesting experience because uh, that was the spring of the big April 16th, 2011 tornado outbreak. Okay. And also uh, several other things when it came to student media. So I had this uh, deep background of writing and radio and TV, but TV is where the career direction went after graduating. So I went to a TV station in Macon, Georgia. Small market life. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, to, I guess, the highlight of my time there, 
uh, it was very quiet as far as tornadoes and hurricanes, but uh, it was quite the drought year or two, and we had our we tied the city's hottest all-time temperature, mm. 2012. And what was uh, that? 108 degrees. Woo! The motor on the power window of my car burned out that day. <laughs> Hopefully you had some uh, air conditioning. Oh, yeah, there was air conditioning. It was the only time in my uh, TV career that we ran the warning crawl for extreme heat danger. Wow. Yeah, I, I definitely could imagine. For floods and tornadoes, but uh, it, was, it was that uh, ridiculous. Now, being um, being that far south kind of took me away from the big weather events that a lot of people around here remember. Uh, 2011, 12, 13 were pretty active in this region, um, but I was following it from afar. And right. then my next job in TV was in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Fox 23 uh, in Cox Media Group uh, with Chief Meteorologist James Adelot. And Oklahoma is such an education. Tulsa is such an amazing city, and I really learned a lot about all kinds of weather extremes, and um, we had a fantastic team there. Uh, and then uh, when I saw the opportunity to uh, kind of start up something new here in uh, my home state, or Commonwealth of Virginia. It's the Commonwealth of Virginia. The Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, we had uh, like such a great fit, and... I've been here since November 2016, so I passed the three-year mark of being at the Times-Dispatch, and uh, that's that's where I'm at. And you said you were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is just a wild place for weather. I know you just said it, and we were talking about it beforehand a little bit. I mean, for those who don't know, it's you know really tornado alley there, but it's not just that. You know, I mean, you get extreme heat, you get extreme cold, and you get really rapid changes in those extreme temperatures that we don't really see that often here in New Jersey and probably to an extent where you are in Richmond. What was it like just living in the climate of Tulsa? Oh yeah. The key word there is volatility. The summers are hotter, the winters are colder, but it goes back and forth even faster. I, I do have to chuckle when I see people here in Virginia and on the East coast kind of share those memes where it's like, Oh, if you want to see all four seasons in one day, it's like, you know, Virginia or Georgia is the only place where that happens. I'm like, try the plains. And at that, you know, Tulsa was nothing compared to the western parts, the high plains or the northern plains. So sure. uh, the, the task of meteorology there um, is, is really about, again, those fluctuations. And, you know, folks in Oklahoma City would, would make the case that their, their market, uh, their coverage area, um, just being geographically bigger means they're uh, on the air first and they're on the air longer when it comes to covering those tornado days. So I think every place kind of has its challenges, but one of the ones in Tulsa that made it really, um, again, in education was the modes of severe weather and the modes of tornadoes were more diverse. Mm. Um, you do have supercellular tornadoes, but often as they come off the dry line from Western Oklahoma and advance East through the afternoon, they're hitting Northeastern Oklahoma in the late afternoon, early evening, or late evening hours. And by that point, you uh, start to lose your solar heating, and they're, they're often merging into squall lines. So you have changes in storm modes happening while you've got warnings and chasers out, and you have to be ready kind of for anything. Uh, there's also uh, 
quite a bit of cold season severe weather and tornado activity right in that eastern part of the state. Usually in the west it's too cold and too dry, but there will be some days, November uh, to January, February, there was one on New Year's Eve uh, earlier in this decade, where you okay. get some pretty wicked tornado activity. Um, with those fast moving um, squall lines, uh, mm -hmm. not too unlike what we saw recently there in the deep south, but uh, uh, so it's it's really a 12-month severe weather season. It's a 24-hour-a-day severe weather cycle. And, um, you know, the, really the, the most uncommon thing there would be the tropical-originated uh, tornadoes, which has really been more the um, theme lately here in Virginia. We had a lot with Florence and Michael in uh, 2018. Okay. Yeah. How many tornadoes did you have in the area this year? Because in New Jersey, we saw nine, which uh, I know you might laugh at. But for us, that was actually the second uh, most in recorded history for us. Well, I wouldn't laugh at that at all. I mean, you got to consider, too, that uh, for states with different sizes, the numbers mean different things. I'm a stat head when it comes to meteorology. And, uh, you know, counting up those tornadoes is going to be part of my year in review. But we did have a, a near average count this year across the state, but most of those came uh, with one event uh, in the spring that um, fortunately they really stayed away from the most populated areas. Um, you know, you never want to see a tornado, but uh, you know, the more of them that stay in forests and fields, the better, because I, I don't wish tornadoes on anybody. Right, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, most recently we had some on the evening of Halloween. There were three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. We didn't get any tornadoes, but we did have severe weather that night. I think uh, it, that was one example, I think, where um, everything seemed to work pretty well with both the forecast and the messaging. I feel like um, everybody from the weather service to broadcast to us kind of got the idea in people's heads pretty early on that, you know, you don't want to be out too late on Halloween. It could be, <laughs> it could be really bumpy. And... Uh, it seemed that people heeded that and uh, weren't weren't surprised when we had these really rocking winds and power outages uh, come 11 p.m. and midnight. Yeah, and that's always the best, you know, when you get people or we get people not saying anything on social media or to you, you know, about a system. That usually means that they knew about it because usually they'll tell you something if something crazy happened. So, you know, that just goes credence to you and uh, everybody down in Virginia for letting people know. And it was about the same up here, too. We had thunderstorms that came right around midnight uh, for us here. And I jumped on our Facebook Live and, you know, was tracking the storms. No tornadoes with it, but uh, we did see uh, some severe weather. But um, let's kind of turn a little bit into what an average day is for you uh, at RTD. That's the uh, lingo for the people uh, down in Richmond here. What is, you know, you're waking up, today's Wednesday when we're recording this, what would be an average day for you, barring any significant weather happening? I think they're, I think they're doing a potluck in the office today. Cool. Oh, that's, that that's makes a good it day. A, I got to come down there. Average day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a question there. Keeping that Halloween example in mind, there's no single day that's exactly the same, which is one of the things I love about this job and this career. I've been up as early as four in the morning um, when I start to hear those sleep pellets hitting the window. Mm -hmm. um, I've been up as late as two or 3 a.m. watching those, the last tail end of that squall line clear through um, when we have severe weather. Uh, those are the exceptions, but that kind of shows you the range of uh, when I try to be uh, 
paying attention to the big weather events. Now, on days when things are really quiet, you know, we got blue skies today, I might go down into the archives and look for cool photos that our staff took of snow in the 70s and 80s um, to kind of retell some historic story. Or I might be digging into a spreadsheet of uh, just climate information and rainfall totals and try to find that statistical nugget that nobody else has. And I might be reading research papers about, you know, the jet stream or tornado debris signatures or attribution of extreme events. And again, hope to uh, develop that knowledge into a story. Uh, so everything is uh, a little bit different. I don't have the uh, responsibility of coming up with a forecast every single day in a format. Um, we have a page in our newspaper, like every newspaper, uh, with a grid of highs and lows and conditions around the country. And that comes to us from a vendor, AccuWeather. Yep, so same one we actually, have. Pardon? Oh, no, I was saying the same one we have. AccuWeather. Yeah, so so there, I, there might be a misconception with some that my job is actually putting all that together, and that's not the case. Um, otherwise, I'd be working every single day, 365 days a year. Um, but, but I do kind of step into more of a forecasting role when something big is on the horizon, be it snow, hurricanes, tornadoes. But again, on generally quiet or non-hazardous days, um, you know, my attention uh, may be elsewhere. It may be in the past or it may be in something technical. So somebody will see me in the elevator and be like, hey, you know, I'm going to the lake this weekend. What's it going to do? And I'll be like, I, I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me. I'm not forecasting. <laughs> Yeah, no, I understand. So, so you know, your role is is more of, a, I, I guess, like you said, less less of the forecasting, but still meteorology in its essence, trying to find stories that you know people are interested in about the weather, and you know that that's just supposed to show. Yeah, I tell people too when I do talks, I said not everybody, you know, who is a meteorologist, one is somebody you would see in front of a green screen, or two is even forecasting all the time. You know, and and that doesn't make them less of meteorologists. In fact, in some cases, you do you know very detailed work. You know, if you're a research professor or doing what you're doing. So there's many different ways. You know, in meteorology, and I think you know, I always like to tell that to people as well. Um, but right. I will say, your one thing is I do see it. It's called Weatherline. Yeah. Uh, Eric, explain to everybody what that is and how that came about. Uh, it is just a little. Uh, 250 to 260 character, so tweet length, uh, daily weather tidbit that goes at the top of the weather page. Because on days maybe where I don't have a full story, I still wanted some presence on the page that was going to be unique and something that people could look to every single day and uh, either be amused by or informed by, uh, except on days, you know, like where I might be sick. But uh, even on days, um, like the weekend or holidays, I'll schedule them out in advance so that there's always something new to come to and something new to look at. And that also runs on our website, on the weather page, on the right-hand side. Gotcha. And so sometimes gotcha. it'll be just some added context about the day's forecast, like, sure. oh, the storms this afternoon might be severe, watch out between 4 p.m. and 10 p.m. Or it might be uh, on this day in history, or it might be uh, just some kind of statistical fun I think the readers know that I love my statistics and I love my history. So um, folks uh, kind of come to expect it. And uh, like, I'll get some really good questions uh, that can kind of inspire um, the, the coverage. 
Gotcha. You know, and being in Richmond, which is the uh, capital of Virginia, I believe you are the newspaper of record for the state or, or the main newspaper. So are you focusing on the whole state or are you just focusing on Richmond? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes to both. <laughs> yeah, the big focus is, of course, on our metro area because, again, that's where we that's where our readers are. You know, um, But when it does come to uh, other topics, I do like to. Uh, take a statewide view because there are parts of the Commonwealth that don't necessarily have the same level of uh, attention in um, in terms of their uh, you know local weather information. They may be kind of on the fringes of markets or coverage areas. And so if I do something that takes a statewide approach, maybe I'll make a map or maybe I'll list a bunch of cities. And that way, if you're Googling for information about like, oh, how many tornadoes have there been in my county, that sort of thing. Like you, you can find some answers. And so I see it as, uh, you know, with the internet, especially, you know, there's no reason that somebody out in Allegheny County or Accomack County can't find some valuable people. So sure. uh, it's, it's a little of everything. Right. It's a little bit of everything. Understood. And, you know, what's something that, let's say, you know, people in South Jersey, what's something people in South Jersey might not know about Richmond's climate or Richmond's weather? Oh, that's a good question. And, you know, I, I can kind of flip the question around. You know, I, I would say something that, you know, people might not necessarily realize uh, if you're from outside the area is that actually uh, K. May County, which is our furthest south county in the state, is drier than the rest of the state. Actually, there's something called it's kind of half true, half folklore called the Cape May bubble, where people think that these thunderstorms throughout the day just kind of miss them throughout the spring and summertime months. And uh, if there's some truth to it, we actually did a whole video piece. I mean, a podcast. We did a, a story on it. Um, but, you know, essentially, we actually see less thunderstorm hours, about 33 percent less thunderstorm hours in Cape May County than the rest of New Jersey. Uh, so that's like a little oddity we have in our coverage area. So I don't know if you had something similar around where you're at. Yeah, when it comes to, uh, let's see, you know, there there are some examples that uh, of, of like thunderstorm splits that, that people tend to notice when they happen where uh, like it didn't rain in their area when it looked like the line was going to hold together. And so there are, uh, there are some schools of thought about whether maybe it's an urban heat island effect. I my my gut feeling is that perhaps our metro area isn't quite expansive enough to have the kind of effect that they've discovered in places like Atlanta and Houston when it comes to rainfall patterns mm. and summer thunderstorm patterns. But that doesn't mean that there isn't if the conditions are right. Like so, you've got this combination of factors every single day, um, uh, just subtle variations in wind and uh, land use. Uh, we do have. Um, you know, I think there may be some validity to that, but I don't know that it's a strong enough effect to where I can anticipate it and really give people the expectation that it's always going to be in play. Uh, I myself would like to know more about it. So if somebody wants to do a formal study, um, uh, be my guest. I, I, maybe something that would be interesting to people is that, you know, the, um, the river that runs through Richmond, the James River, is tidal all the way up to Richmond. We're on the fall line. Well, so, I didn't even know that. And Richmond, just give people an idea. How far is Richmond from the shore? Uh, I, I, I know it in terms of hours. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. I can give people but, an idea. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if you're going to Virginia Beach, that's 
like the nearest like Atlantic beach, it's like two hours away. Um, yeah. On a good day in the summer, it might be a little longer. Hmm. Um, although we're very familiar uh, with traffic in New Jersey. Yeah, there's so much inland water in Virginia because you you look as you go inland, you've got the Chesapeake Bay. Yep. And you go even farther into these rivers, um, the Potomac, the Rappahannock, York, the James. Uh, they're all tidal um, for for quite a range. You know, through those peninsulas you see in Virginia, in eastern part of Virginia. So when it comes to things like uh, hurricanes, but even nor'easters, uh, in winter storms, you get uh, surge, you get this coastal flooding. Um, and again, there's a lot of factors at play with the timing and the, the angle and the fetch and all that, but uh, there can be some really wicked coastal flooding for Hampton Roads, but also for some of these peninsula areas uh, from systems that might not do a whole lot here in Richmond. Mm -hmm. And just touching on the coastal flooding, uh, John, you know, the big thing for us down here, even more than the snow, is is really the coastal flooding here. Atlantic City's seen eight times more coastal flooding events this decade in the 1950s and 60s, and that's from the EPA. And, you know, while we are one of the hot spots for coastal flooding in the country, you know, it really is a little step below what you have going on over on, you know, the the rivers that feed in. Um, and I think you just said them, the, the James River, I think is one of them, but also those, those little finger rivers that, that go into yeah. Virginia, you know, there's a lot of days where you see that nuisance kind of flooding, uh, there even more so than here in South Jersey. So for everybody listening here in South Jersey, yes, we do have problems and significant problems with coastal flooding, but it's actually happening a little bit more, uh, down in Virginia, uh, oh, yeah. just to give you a little perspective on what, what is going on in the comparison, uh, between here and there. It's true. And again, this is kind of outside of the Richmond area and even outside of our coverage area a little bit. But when you look at the Hampton Roads area, um, there's a combination of factors. You've got that baseline sea level rise, but it's compounded by the fact that the area is subsiding. Um, as the long term after effect of the glaciers retreating, the natural movement of the land is sinking. So it is true that that's one of the reasons why um, sea level is increasing, but the other reasons, of course, uh, being global in nature um, means that for Hampton Roads and just well, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, this decade has uh, brought a frequency of those nuisance flood events and those not nuisance flood events that uh, um, are really concerning and with an eye toward the future, uh, it's something that um, we're going to continue to hear more about it. And so for people who are interested in uh, the Virginia specific information or the experts where to go to find out more about uh, the lay of the land here, some good resources. Uh, the Virginian Pilot, the newspaper for Hampton Roads, uh, always turns out some interesting coverage of uh, sea level rise and flooding. You've got Virginia Institute of Marine Sciences in, in Yorktown, abbreviated VIMS, or actually it's in Gloucester. And then uh, Dr. Michael Allen um, on Twitter uh, is a good resource as well. So uh, the eastern part of the state, um, you know, it falls outside of our coverage area a lot, sure. but I'm definitely paying attention to those developments. Where do you see this, what is right now, very small 
meteorologists at newspaper companies segment going? Do you believe it's something that all places should consider? Do you think it works only in certain places? How, how do you see the future of it? Well, I, I hope it's a, a bright future. You know, as, as uh, meteorologists, we are wired to uh, make predictions or or look at look for trends. Uh, we're very um, forward-thinking people. You know, at the start of this decade, um, even the end of the last decade, you know, it was a time when there were um, kind of mixed thoughts about where social media was going in terms of meteorology. We saw that. There were some early adopters and their success really paid off. Um, and it's like if you weren't in right at the gate, it, it was harder and harder to kind of get to those same levels of audience. And maybe there's an analogy when it comes to having in-house weather and climate experts uh, at legacy publications. Uh, you know, the issue of climate change is not going away. Um, and I think a lot of smart people would say that the uh, uh, the topic is just going to continue growing in importance in the coming years. And so, uh, of course, people on every single beat at a publication in a newsroom, any newsroom, can find connections with what they cover and the changes that are happening, be it health or transit and transportation or, uh, gosh, even education and business. Yes. Um, Having a meteorologist or somebody with a scientific training, somebody who can navigate um, reports that come out and know where to find experts can, can streamline that coverage or be a resource to others on the team. So I do believe there's great value in that. Um, you know, I would be remiss in saying, you know, there are a lot of journalists who are on a weather beat uh, who may not be meteorologists, mm -hmm. who, who do a fine job in a lot of um, big cities and a lot of big papers. I'd be remiss too if I didn't mention the fact that, uh, you know, prior to me starting at the Times-Dispatch, you know, yes, I'm the first meteorologist here, but there have been people, um, several people uh, on staff over the past uh, half century whose uh, beat was exclusively weather and, or mostly weather and environment. And they did a really good job of um, being that record of what happened with storms. You know, it's one thing to look at a report of a storm in a database or see a number in a monthly climate summary of how much snow fell on a date, but to know the impact of like how many power outages there were mm -hmm. and what it did to the roads and which schools were closed. Um, you're only going to find that rich texture of uh, impacts in a newspaper story. Um, and you know, I kind of stand on the shoulders of giants when it comes to being able to do my reporting on weather history and just look back at and see a storm in 1979 or 1960 or 1996. And just from the virtue of having our archives and our photos have a much better um, entryway into that knowledge. So, uh, you know, bolstering, you know, weather has value in, in uh, newspapering and digital uh, transitions. That we're um, that we're working on, and and I don't see that going away. As I say, newspapers are the front page of history books. So you make a great point yeah. that you know you really are standing on the shoulders of giants, and I am too. You know, a lot of articles that I'm writing, you know, about our even if it's like what was our biggest snowstorms. I go back into the archives, or we have actually our, our 
librarian go back to the archives. Like, yeah, I'm not going to give myself all the credit, but uh, pull out, pull out, excuse me, um, old newspaper clippings of what it used to look like or what, you know, how we covered it. So it does provide great context. Um, so, John, that, that was great. I mean, thanks so much. Uh, we're not done with you just yet. Like I said, I wanted to do a little lightning round, then we'll fully wrap oh. it up. So you OK with a little game here for a couple minutes? All right, bring it on. All right, so we're looking for one word answers. I'm going to give you kind of a this or that, and then maybe we can go back and circle around for a little bit of this. So first question is going to be thunderstorm, thunder snow, or thunder sleet? Thunder sleet. Thunder sleet. Very good. All right. Uh, sea breezes or cold air damming? Cold air damming. Cold air damming. Uh, what's easier, covering a winter storm in Virginia or a tornado outbreak in Oklahoma? Whew. Uh, and we're not we're not discrediting anybody you know, for what's the easier one is. They're both challenging. Easier. Uh, I would say easier for an individual. Um, probably a winter storm. Okay. But easier for a team. Um, maybe those tornadoes in Oklahoma because you do have a lot of people and resources pulling together. Good answer. Okay. Better for weather, Twitter or Facebook? Twitter. All right, zero degrees or 100 degrees? Zero. All right, now this one, maybe we'll circle back. Government winter storm naming, yes or no? No. Okay, and last question. How many times has the newsroom asked you if it's gonna rain at four o'clock on a Tuesday? If I had a dime for every time, <laughs> you wouldn't be buying and installing my own uh, Doppler radar here in the city. Yes, yes. All right, all right. That's good. Um, let, you know what? Let's touch on the winter storm maybe for a second. Uh, you said no. Um, I will say I'm going to give a soft yes to that answer, but I want to hear what your reasoning is on that. You know, it's, it's been an interesting uh, trajectory over these past several years to see the uh, debate unfold in the weather community. And I do see value in us being on the same page. I think we're best when we're all on the same page. So getting um, buy-in, you know, is, is, is tricky sometimes, but easy in other times. And I think one of the things that would maybe make it easier is, if, uh, you know, you had some platform like the American Meteorological Society or the National Weather Service uh, kind of adopt it and create standards. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I don't, I don't think it's the most pressing thing that we're dealing with, but, uh, sure. you know, early on in the adoption, I know I was kind of, a. um, I think I made my, my skepticism a, a matter of record, uh, online. Ah, okay. Um, you can go to Twitter for that. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I think it was too, that just some of the names were too cutesy and maybe made it hard to, um, you know, give the appropriate gravitas to a dangerous weather situation. That was that was one of my objections uh, early on. But I mean, the the manner in which it's being done has kind of evolved as well. So mm -hmm. I, it's it's not it's not a huge uh, it's not a huge issue. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I mean, th there are bigger fish to fry in the weather world, and I think uh, just kind of taking a side note, I think something we've done a really good job on is hurricane. Um, 
hurricanes in terms of forecasting threats. Like, for example, you still have a hurricane warning up, even if you had a sandy type situation where it was coming ashore and then turned into a post-tropical cyclone or storm surge warnings or storm surge watches. Those are all things that didn't exist at the beginning of the decade. So it's important to have those kind of things. So just want to get your take yeah. on that. Um, John, so where – oh, God, I'm sorry. Uh, one of the really interesting things that I came to appreciate only by being in this role um, is that I'm talking to more people um, across the weather enterprise, but also adjacent to weather. And one of the things I learned, you know, is that, you know, there can be, as you said, uh, you know, um, uh, situations where you have like maybe a weather situation that doesn't fit neatly into a bin or you have warning products that uh, may cause TV meteorologists to scratch their head, but when you realize that they're like, there's this whole ecosystem of other users of National Weather Service products that uh, may, they may very well still be a, a lot of value um, for having those thresholds or those distinctions that might not make a lot of sense to a public facing TV meteorologist or weather communicator. And so like some of the uh, kind of controversies and some of the, uh, um, the hand wringing that's that, that we've seen with uh, certain things, uh, if, if you kind of go deeper into it and understand that everybody's working on a different set of uh, requirements and parameters, and it's, it's more nuanced. So it's it, that's that in and of itself is a is a different conversation, but I think it's really interesting to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, and you're absolutely right. There's many different facets of people who are using that data. Um, John, so let everybody know, just in case all these people in South Jersey are in Richmond one of these days, where can they find everything that you're doing at the Richmond Times-Dispatch? I thought you were going to say where they could find a good restaurant. but uh, Well, that's too. Maybe that too. You can tell them where you're on Facebook and Twitter and they, they can hit you up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my stories are on richmond.com and uh, my Twitter handle is Weather. Uh, it's my last name, B-O-Y-E-R, weather, which W-E-A-T-H-E-R. Yep. And uh, that's, you know, that's that's where I, again, I'm not really doing the forecasting there. I'm not necessarily on there all the time, but uh, I kind of jump in for interesting conversations and uh, keep track with what's going on in other areas. And uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, John, thanks so much. We appreciate you uh, hopping in here. We uh, definitely probably going to talk at some point in the future. I'm sure we'd uh, love to have you on again. And uh, for everybody out there, uh, have a great holiday season. We won't be back with you until the beginning of the new year. We will be capping uh, what has been a very wet month here in South Jersey. It's been pretty wet over there too in Richmond, right, John, this month? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's been it's been hard to get out on the trails. Everything's kind of muddy right now. So there you go. Richmond, Atlantic City, South Jersey, all in the same boat here this month. But everybody have a great holiday season. We'll be back with you at the beginning of the month. This is Something in the Air podcast. We'll be back with you in 2020.